0: So this uh, last conference will be on redemptive suffering, and uh, when we try to ponder redemptive suffering, and you know we know that as Catholics, um, you know I think you know we we've had that uh, um, really instilled in us. I think there's a, a great, or at least some level of understanding among most Catholics of the um, uh, the goodness, the importance of redemptive suffering. Um, but, uh, but then also, we we understand that we're praying. We're called to pray for healing. We're called to pray according to the desire of our hearts for healing for ourselves, as for as well as for others. And um, Dr. Mary Healy, in her book, uh, so another book I'm recommending. Okay, Healing: Bringing the Gift of God's Mercy to the World by Dr. Mary Healy. Uh, healing, bringing the gift of God's mercy to the world. Uh, Dr. Mary Healy is a scripture scholar up at uh, Sacred Heart Seminary up in Detroit. Um, I've really become very fond of her writings. She's a contributor to that uh, Catholic commentary on scripture. Um, I think she wrote the commentary on the Gospel of Mark. <clears throat> and um, But this book is just a real gem. In my mind, it's it's not a difficult read at all, but I think she does an excellent job of just um, helping us in our Catholic world to understand, you know, the relationship between redemptive suffering and healing, and um, just what to do with redemptive suffering. And uh, Dr. Bob, I know, has been fond of saying, Dr. Bob Schutz, saying, "Redemptive suffering is healing." So we think that, you know, and so we want to kind of dispel the notion that either I'm healed or I'm called to redemptive suffering. You know, d- redemptive suffering um, is healing. Uh, it may not be the kind of healing that we're, you know, just pure physical, physical healing or mental or emotional healing that we are desiring and longing for. Um, but... healing nonetheless. So in going back to the book, Dr. Mary Healy, um, so she exposes the false notion that we either ask for healing or we accept redemptive suffering. And she absolutely um, describes and believes in the power of redemptive suffering, you know, that it's an invitation to Christ's, to share in Christ's passion. Okay. Um, and it becomes a means of grace for others, okay? And she also quotes uh, St. John Paul II's, um, his encyclical, or it might be an apostolic exhortation, I can't recall which, but um, on, on the Christian meaning of human suffering. St. John Paul II's uh, document on the Christian meaning of human suffering, Salvifici Dolores, okay? And this is what uh, he says in that document. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ preserve in their own sufferings a very special particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption and can share this treasure with others. Those who share in the sufferings of Christ preserve in their own sufferings a very special particle of the infinite treasure of the world's redemption and can share this, share this treasure with others. It gives a great sense, I think, of um, how big redemption is brought about by Christ and how redemptive suffering is a, uh, like a, a particle of that, our own participation is a um, particle of the infinite treasure. And Dr. Mary Healy talks uh, in the book about two different kinds of suffering, okay? First of all, suffering as as a result of being persecuted for Jesus' sake, okay, because of his name or um, because of his mission, right? So suffering as a result of being persecuted for Jesus' sake. And then suffering as a result of some illness or... um, human defect, um, whether physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. Uh, And she points out, makes this um, um, observation that when when Jesus is telling his disciples to expect suffering and to endure it patiently and to even rejoice in it, he's usually speaking of that first kind of suffering, the persecution kind of suffering. But when he encounters illness, he usually confronts it and he heals it as an evil to be overcome, rather than a good to be embraced. It's an important observation, I think. You know, where, um, yeah, and where she makes, yeah, she makes the point that traditionally we as Catholic Christians recognize. Uh, The value of redemptive suffering and illness, we definitely recognize that. But that doesn't mean that our response to sickness should be the same as our response to suffering for the sake of the gospel. And so, yeah, just definitely when we have particular illnesses that we're experiencing or others are experiencing, yes, it could be very much the case that God is calling us to redemptive suffering. And um, a, f- a friend of mine, I don't, I've been really fond of uh, this a ministry called Encounter Ministries. I don't know if you've heard of them, Encounter Ministries, out of um, Brighton, Michigan. Uh, Father Matthias Thielen and Patrick Rice and company, who are very bold in, in doing uh, healing services. They did a school of healing here in June of 2018 at St. Peter's. And uh, but I remember asking him, or somebody had asked Father, or rather it was Patrick, who was a member of this ministry. You know, yeah, we're praying for healing for people, but um, what if they're really called to redemptive suffering? And his bold response was, "It's not our job to figure that out, right? It's not our job to figure out who's called to redemptive suffering." You know, God may reveal that to the individual people, to themselves, you know, that they're called to that. But on our part, our job is just to pray boldly for their healing, you know, and leave the theology of redemptive suffering to God, right? Leave, the, leave that decision up to him. Uh, I want to continue on now with what uh, Dr. Mary Healy says about actually not wasting suffering, Okay, she says how much wasted suffering there is in the world today. How many people are lying in hospitals or nursing homes simply enduring the pain and and loneliness or even letting bitterness fester? If only they knew how much potential their suffering has for empowering the church's mission to bring the light of Christ into the world. Often it is because no one has told them. No one has called upon their intercessory muscle intercessory muscle. And she also points out that Christianity has never viewed suffering as a good in itself, Okay, uh, because it is not part of God's original plan for us. It came into the world because of sin. And so that is why as humans and as the church, we do everything we can to alleviate suffering as God even tells us to in scripture. I mean, this is why The corporal and spiritual works of mercy are so important, right? And then she asks the question, why then, this is on page 131, she says, why then, it must be asked, would we do so much on a natural level to heal sickness and yet hesitate to seek supernatural healing? And so what she's doing is she's giving us in her words, she's giving us freedom, or God giving us freedom through her, to, um, to pray boldly for healing, you know, and, and to, you know, not to allow the possibility of redemptive suffering to keep us from that, okay? And she says, Ironically, Catholics faced with illness usually have no hesitation in seeking medical treatment, yet many are reluctant to ask God for healing. They assume God must want them to suffer. They go to the doctor, but not to the divine physician. This reluctance is often based on a distorted view of God, as the God eager to mete out the punishment we deserve. In reality, He is the God who is rich in mercy, who delights, delights to lavish on us the grace we don't deserve. So, and on page 132, she says, Our first response to sickness then should be to do battle against it through faith and prayer. Jesus' response to illness and infirmity in the Gospels is a challenge to our attitudes of passivity. In the sick who besieged him, who besieged him, he saw children of God who were bound up and blocked from the fullness of life God had for them. Should we embrace our suffering in love or pray for healing with expectant faith? Should we embrace our suffering in love or pray for healing with expectant faith? And she says both, right? Both. Um, Because, yeah, we're a both and and not an either or church. And so going back to... um, Let's see here. Dr. Bob, in his book, Be Healed, says on page 27, essentially that Jesus' redemptive suffering brought about our healing. And our redemptive suffering is healing also then for us and for others. So because of his redemptive suffering bringing about healing, um, you know we can we can make that association where redemptive suffering is healing for us and for others. And Saint Paul in his uh, letter to the Colossians, chapter one, verse twenty four, says, "I make up for what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ." And you know, we've heard this over and over. And you know, what he means by that is he's, he's participating in it, and he's offering his. He's, he's getting a, a sense or a taste of that particle um, of the infinite um, treasure of the world's redemption. And so healing, you know, with respect to redemptive suffering, healing in redemptive suffering is being truly transformed and conformed to the heart and will of the Father, like his son Jesus. Being conformed to the heart and will of the Father may mean healing in the form we usually think of it as comfort and peace in mind, heart, soul, and body. Uh, Or it may mean suffering to win graces for others as well as ourselves, which often mysteriously brings peace in mind, heart, soul, and or body. You know, I, and, and so what to do with it, what to do with um, suffering, um, I love fa- uh, Father Sean Kilcali's um, description of how we can measure, we can actually measure suffering. We can measure it. And how we measure it is, you know, he basically talks about how, okay, if you look at our lives on a timeline, and we're expecting maybe a, a year ahead, five years ahead, this is what we're dreaming for our life, okay? And and maybe, and, but then there's a there's a departure from that path, right? Like instead of the straight line, it, it drops down to something else that we were not expecting. Uh, it could be a stubbed toe, could be a trauma, could be some form of abuse, could be uh, any number of a million zillion things. But so where it departs, You know, here's our our dream plan. This is what I'm looking, this is what I see myself doing today or tomorrow or next year or 10 years, 20 years from now. This is what I see myself doing. But then there's a departure, you know, that, that goes off course from what we were expecting, what we were dreaming of. And so he says the distance between those two is the measure of the pain and suffering, you know were what I dreamt and what I was desiring, but I'm not there, I'm right here. So the measurement is the distance between the two. I don't know, I guess one with the science, I I have an engineering degree, so the science, you know, it's kind of the numbers thing is kind of, but that's helpful for me, I would say. You know, obviously the distance between the two is less or greater, whether it's a stub toe or some, something um, major. So then what happens? What do we do? What do we do when it goes off course? You know, again, in the middle of a day or just in the middle of a year or whatever, what do we do? Well, then we welcome Jesus into where we're at. We show him where we're at. We welcome him in, into where we're at. And we say, Lord... This is not what I dreamt. This is not what I wanted. And I, I'm sure you can relate to this. I, I'm sure we've all done this. you know, Having a bad day, Lord, this is not the way I saw my day going today. And, um, um, but instead of staying, trying to stay, instead of trying to stay in the dream world or what we wanted for ourselves, we have to, we have to say, okay, it's not where I'm at. And, Lord, I need you to be with me right where I'm at right now. And you know, I love that um, explanation, really, of what to do when life goes off course. Um, okay. And I, it's interesting. I, at the beginning, of, I think almost from the beginning of my priesthood, I would say I've I've been, I would say I've been bold enough to tell people. Um, and, and really, it's not because of, I would say, suffering that I've experienced, you know, but I've encouraged people to redemptive suffering um, in hospitals and nursing homes, as Dr. Healy points out. Um, and again, it's not so much because of my own suffering, I would say, but because, you know, and, and that document by uh, St. John Paul II, I remember reading that in the seminary and just being blown away by it. Like, wow, this is powerful. Um, so I think that's... that's one thing that, you know, just reading that was very helpful and had me down the right path of encouraging people to offer, you know, their particular condition. And so I've, I have been, for the most part, I would say, uh, been pretty bold in just telling people in hospitals and nursing homes or in their, the homebound, whatever, um, helping them to, to, to see that, that their the offering of the next five minutes, the offering of the next 10 minutes, or whatever task or whatever thing is frustrating, loneliness or particular pain or whatever it is, how powerful that prayer is, how powerful it is for them to offer that. They are the only one in the whole world who can offer that prayer because they are the only one in the whole world who has those unique circumstances. And so it it, it does strike me as powerful. For people to offer to the Lord, all the while I to, I, I say too, you know, I tell them, well, we're going to continue to pray for miraculous healing or what have you. But in the meantime, um, you offer this for, and, and allow certain intentions to come to mind. Whatever certain intentions come to mind, then just start offering the next five minutes. Lord, I offer these next five minutes to you. It's going to be painful. I don't like having to do this or to do that. Or, you know, just the pain of just feeling the helplessness of not being able to run around and do what they have been typically doing or wanting to do. Um, You know, that is, um, you know, I I try to instill in people the notion that, look, you know, even though you're confined to a bed or what have you, um, your prayers are what are making the world go around. Okay? Because we have this notion that if we aren't um, running around doing things and going from one place to the next and actively doing something with our hands and our feet and all this, then we're just worthless. We're not, you know, and and our society has put that on us. You know, the society, you know, it's a um, total, I'm trying to think of the word. Um, Well, you know where we just have are we're only as good as how useful we are right um and how active we are and and so somebody who's um, um see productive right somebody who's not productive you know in our ordinary understanding of things um is worthless right and and we can we can we allow ourselves unfortunately we can come into agreement with that you know i mean just you know it's interesting i i i'm not gonna it's all by god's grace but i think for the smaller illnesses you know like cold or flu and that kind of thing i you know if i'm giving myself a grade on that okay um generally pretty good, I'm going to say. I don't know what the Lord has to say. I don't know if he, you know. Um, so those moments, for some reason, I, I'm attuned to, okay, I got to of this for my parishioners, for my family, for whatever, you know. But it's, you know, the things where the just the day goes off, okay, and you're not expecting this or that, not so good with that, okay. That's not the, <laughs> I have a harder time handling those things. But, and turning that into a sort of redemptive suffering. But um, I praise God for just uh, uh, the awareness of how powerful redemptive suffering is and praying for, okay? Um, you know. Um, so again, a lot of, and, and I, am, I am so amazed by people, oh my gosh, so amazed by people who are enduring incredible pain and suffering confined to home, bed, hospital, retirement home, whatever, and, or just walking about um, in, in just extreme pain, and how they are just offering it in faith. Um, oh, my gosh. It's just, I know you've, you've either lived it or you've experienced it yourself, I'm guessing, but um, you know, that's God. That is Christ. That is Christ walking. You know that is Christ. That is Jesus. Uh, that's His grace, um, and it's just powerful. So, a um, little bit of a shift here with this next thing I want to say. It just really, um, uh, with respect to um, you know, going back to what Patrick Rice said, um, you know, to to pray boldly, and in fact. Father Matthias Thielen, a priest of Lansing, Michigan. You know, uh, he was he he sa- has a saying, and I think he borrowed it from somebody. I don't know, but that's what priests do—we borrow it for other pe- from other people, right? But um, he said, um, "Desperation plus expectation equals an invitation for God to act." So if we if we you know if bringing God into the expect into the desperation, but that combined with expectation in faith, knowing that Christ is powerful, is an invitation for him to act. Uh, maybe not the healing I mean don't, we can't put any bounds on it. That's the I almost went there, frankly, you know. can't put any bounds on it, but um, anyway. Redemptive suffering also shouldn't be rooted in pride. You know, it can't be rooted in pride. You know, and unfortunately, um, you know, the suffering that we experience, we can begin to think that it's who we are. We can begin to identify with it, that it's who we are. You think of Jesus telling his apostles, okay, um, the Son of Man is going to be handed over and he's going to be crucified and he's going to rise on the third day. Predicted that three times at least. And, um, you know, he knew what he was going to be going through. He, at least to some level, you know, in his human nature. Um, and he uh, uh, endured the agony in the garden. Um, so he knew that, but he also knew that he was going to rise on the third day, and so it. So he didn't allow. Um, he didn't allow his suffering to be his identity. He knew that he's the eternal, that he's the son of the eternal Father, and uh, you know the the promise of the Father that he would return and to heaven, and uh, they would send the Holy Spirit so, you know, redemptive suffering, as I say, shouldn't be rooted in pride. You know, okay, so basically the Father may actually want to heal us, right? And he may want to bring healing, but our pride needs that suffering because it's who we are, so we think it's who we are, because it has become our identity, and we want to take matters into our own hands. And then, and we can we can approach it from the standpoint of thinking um, that we are earning His love, and doing so, we are earning God's love by just embracing the suffering as who we are, and so yeah, I try. I, I, I want to tread lightly there, okay, but. You know, if, that's, if there's a sense that, that's, that I just have to take this on myself and God just wants to punish me or, um, or that it's just who I am now, um, I, then we bring that to the Lord and say, Lord, you know, this, is, this is how it feels to me. You know, and, and really what it comes down to is what is the desire of the heart? You know, we may be embracing some kind of suffering that the Lord really does not want on us, and you know, it may be the case where we're not praying for healing. You know, and and the Father's going, well, gosh, you know that you don't. What you know, what am I supposed to do? You know, if if you don't believe, can you believe? Do you believe that I can heal you? Right. Um, I, I sometimes wonder that you know if the if the Father is saying. Gosh, or and Jesus is saying, "Is that all you think I can do?" Right, and so how 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 we have to allow God to be God, you know, in the midst of suffering, and and not to not to come into agreement with suffering, not to come into agreement with it, but just you know, unless the Lord, in some mysterious way, changes our prayer and puts that on our heart, but then also to um, um hand it over to him pray boldly for healing and it really comes down to what is the desire of my heart what is the desire of my heart do i want to be healed or am i just or am i satisfied just holding on to this where the father may actually want to heal me and i and it's better for me that i think of the father punishing me because then I can distance myself and not be in relationship with him or open my heart to relationship with him Um, and so you know this kind of um, and so again if any of this resonates with you any of us you know please um, be patient with yourself be patient just um, it's okay it's okay uh, just share your heart with the Lord. So, my experience of redemptive suffering, my experience of redemptive suffering, um, like I said, is really just seeing others, and, and one of them, you know, I mentioned yesterday that uh, I mentioned yesterday that my my dad had Lou Gehrig's disease about well, it was in two, uh, 99 I should say from 99 to 2001, and uh, I told you that he, before I went off to study canon law in Rome, I, uh, that he came into my room and had said, Son, I'm sorry for the things I said to you. Will you forgive me? You know, and again, a year, few years had already gone by since he had really expressed and, and you know, his displeasure with my decision to go into the seminary and uh and so there was a lot of healing that had already happened. We had in a certain way gotten over that and he was like I said totally on board. But later that fall after I was now in Rome, he um he had uh he had been working on uh my parents basement. He was ref- finishing the basement and and I remember talking to him on the phone and he was saying actually one of the things he was saying was he had just gotten a pickup truck, okay? A Ford, a 97 Ford F-150, okay? He'd been wanting this truck, and he finally had gotten the truck. He said, yeah, I finally got this truck. Now I just just figure out what's wrong with my left arm. It's just weak, you know? And he thought maybe it had something to do with um, just lifting drywall, right? And putting it in place and all that. And and I have to say, too, um, you know, I... Whereas the Lord, if I could just do a little bit of a side here, where the Lord um, wanted a certain healing in my heart with respect to how my dad was while I was growing up and being, like I said, intimidating and putting a lot of pressure on and, and this sort of thing. Um, but the Lord has also been revealing to me and just bringing to mind, you know, thankfully, just the ways that he was such an awesome father. You know, and I'm so blessed. I know not everybody can say this, that when I was that, you know, I felt like my dad could do anything. With he was a handyman, he could do anything. But I also felt very safe when I was in his presence. You know, if I felt like the circumstances of the situation, I don't know tornado sirens or whatever, um, or on a trip through bad weather or whatever, I always felt safe around my dad. I knew that he was, so I I just, you know, I praise God for that big time. And, um, and also, you know, while he wasn't patient at times, you know, with me and my brother and sister and my mom, um, there were times where he was incredibly patient where he would, uh, for instance, my parents back in 1978 had bought this boat, um, and uh, my dad had enjoyed doing some boating um, and water skiing uh, when he was a little bit younger, and and so he wanted that for his family. And and so he had gotten a boat, and he and my mom had gotten this boat, and we um, did, every Saturday we'd go boating. And so my brother and sister and I, we learned how to water ski and, and, you uh, know, I remember so many times where, you know, how it is, where you're trying something new or you're water skiing or you're whatever, and you'd fall, you know. And, okay, try it again. Boat comes around, picks you up, goes again. And my dad would do that all day. And he never said to any of us, okay, are you going uh, you to try that again? Why don't you just get in the boat, you know? He never said that. He never did that. He was totally patient where he just delighted in watching us have fun. You know, the fun he 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 never uh said okay, uh you, you fell, uh, You fell for the fourth time, you know, I'm getting tired of this. None of that. It was just no, we'll go again, you know. So I I want to I want to be clear that um you know, that that's who my dad was, you know. Uh he delighted in his in his kids in that way yeah definitely tough times in different circumstances but you know so i praise god for that so uh november 1st was my dad's birthday and my sister fast forward to um 99 and um my sister was looking for a gift to give him on his birthday and she was in a, a catholic bookstore and um She's looking around, and, and this book uh, called The True Story of Padre Pio uh, just really stood out to her. And she's, I'm going to get him that book. And so he, he got this book for my sister for his birthday. And, um, you know, in the midst of, you know, the weakness in the arm and all that, he was starting to read this book about Padre Pio. And it ended up being he ended up being that he had a, just an incredible relationship with Padre Pio, and just um, seeing how Padre Pio handled his redemptive suffering, how he handled his suffering, who had the stigmata, as well as being um, rejected, uh, even by church authorities and so forth. Um, but so my dad had that framework to look at his own suffering, you know, and, and a kind of a. Uh, a model to follow, if you will, and so he—it um, uh, it was an amazing thing, you know. Over two years, as we were praying for his, praying to Padre Pio for his healing. Um, uh, you know, his his my dad's disposition was—it was amazing how he became so patient, how he became um, so trusting of the Lord. Um, and uh, and he understood, you know, redemptive suffering. Uh, and so I, I praise God for that grace as well. I mean, he showed me, and frankly, you know, I guess I'd say he showed me how to die. You know, he showed me how to, he showed me uh, redemptive suffering, what it was like. And um, he, um, yeah. To the point where, and, and he was so positive, too. And, and I have to say, though, during those two years, we had, uh, the last two years of his life, we had a number of blessings. One blessing being, you know, with ALS, you don't, you don't know what voluntary movements are going to be affected first. And, and and for my dad, it was his speech was the last thing to go. So within the last two weeks, his speech started to go. So, you know, it's a nasty disease. And, um, we were just grateful for that, uh, that he was able to, to s- express what was on his mind and uh, tell us what he needed, you know, over that um, almost those whole two years. And so uh, one, that's one blessing. We also, there was times where, he, I mean, he would just laugh about his situation. He would joke about it. Um, and um, it, it was refreshing. There's, those were times where we laughed harder than we ever laughed in our whole lives. It was amazing, and uh, I remember one time you know when people would come to come to our house just to talk to him and um, they they'd leave so encouraged by him leave so encouraged by his um, by just by, by his words and by his kindness and by his patience and by his faith and I remember one time after somebody had visited I was at the home I, I think it was yeah, it was probably in 2001, the summer of 2001, when things were really going downhill. And um, I can't remember who it was. Maybe it was relatives visited, and then they had left. And my dad, he, um, it was just he and I, he and me there. And he turned to me, and he had this very distressed look on his face. And I was just like, "Oh my gosh, what, <laughs> what's going on?" And he, he. He said, I hope they realize that it's not me. You know, I hope they realize that it's not me. He was, um, you know, as if his salvation depended on it. Like um, he knew where that grace was coming from to be who he was and to just, you know, he knew where that grace was coming from. And he did not want them, anyone to think that it was just because of his natural ability and this sort of thing. I don't think I'll ever remember, I'll ever forget the, the um, yeah the look on his face. I hope I don't, because it, it was just an incredible grace. Um, over those two years, we had the opportunity and the year 2000. Uh, for my, um, my mother, my, both my, my parents and I, to go to Rome together just ahead of my second year of studies. And we, all, we went to San Giovanni Rotundo, And we were actually, I, Providence had it that we were there on September 23rd, Padre Pio's feast day. And it was actually the first feast day that he was able to celebrate or that the world was able to celebrate, part of the world was able to celebrate as blessed Padre Pio. So he had just been beatified, like a year before, or whatever, and so we were there for the first feast day of Padre Pio, and it was only certain places. You know, as beatified, there's only certain places in the world that can celebrate that. And so we, yeah, had to offer, got to offer mass there at seven a.m. and um, at the tomb of Saint Padre Pio, um, and then two days later we had the incredible gift of meeting St. John Paul II. And this was a time where, um, you know, obviously, so 2001, St. John Paul II, or 2000, St. John Paul II, as we know, was, um, you know, he, was, he had his own. He was dealing with Parkinson's. And, um, but uh, I remember, so we were in this audience hall, small audience hall in the papal, uh, palace apartment, papal apartment and we um, uh, yeah came before the Holy Father there was a kneeler in front Holy Father was sitting there and uh, so I came and I knelt before the Holy Father and, and I, I said Holy Father I'm a priest from Lincoln, Nebraska and he said you are from America and I said and I said, yes, Holy Father. And, and I have to tell you, I was I was determined to look into St. John Paul II's eyes. You know, I'm like, I'm going to look into his eyes. I'm not going to depart anyway. You know, I'm not going to look at anything else. I'm just going to look into his eyes. You know, and since then, and it was just awesome. I, I think the grace that I saw there, or seen, the grace that I, I experienced there was just the fact that he let me do that. And, um, you know, and since then, since then, it's been this... You know, who am I to do that, right? But um, so I got up after uh, speaking just very briefly to the Holy Father, and um, my parents came over to kneel down, and so I was making room for them on the kneeler, and the photographers behind me are going, no, you you kneel down too. So somehow we got three people on this kneeler. I don't know how it happened, but one of the miracles of the situation. And um, And the Holy Father looked at my dad and said, this is your son. And all of my, my dad couldn't say anything. He just nodded his head. And the Holy Father just tapped him on the shoulder. And we got up. And um, that, was, that was our encounter with St. John Paul II. But just an incredible grace. But, you know, looking at that, you know, he had two men there who knew redemptive suffering. They were living it. They were just being who they are. They were. They knew that they were relying on God's grace. I mean, that's what strikes me, and just in my story there, my recollection of things. Finally, just want to um, on a retreat last year at the John Paul II Healing Center, uh, January of twenty eighteen. I was there for another retreat. Can't can't get enough of the place. And um, this gal, so there were 17 priests there. And this gal, uh, Kim Glass, I don't know some of you may have met her when she was here in um, July. But uh, she said, Fathers, your wounds are beautiful. She said, your wounds are beautiful. She said, they really are. And all of us are looking at each other like, where, where is she coming from, you know, like, what what is she saying, you know, uh, I know that's what was on my heart, I'm like, I'm trying to figure that one out, but, um, and so, yeah, I just, I just, yeah, I was pondering that, and never, I had a sense of what that meant, but never really, you know, for about um, nine months until I was here at the retreat house uh, with Father Sean Kilcali's Integrity, Integrity Restored Intensive for Clergy. You know, this training for priests, um, you know, in particular in how to help people, especially through, um, you know, an addiction to uh, pornography, um, you know, and this sort of thing. And, um, but anyway, this Dr. Todd Bowman um, at the end gave me the answer to the riddle, or gave us the answer to the riddle, in my mind. You know, that Kim had given me the January before. Um, Now in September, I was getting the answer to the riddle. Where he said, the wounds are the places where Jesus wants to be. The places where he wants to bring healing. And so that made made sense to me. You know, and so if I could say that to each one of us here that your wounds are beautiful. Our wounds are beautiful because Jesus died to heal those wounds. His wounds heals our wounds. And those are the places that he wants to be. I just want to finish with St. Paul's letter to Uh, the Philippians chapter one. My eager expectation and hope is that I shall not be put to shame in any way, but that with all boldness, now as always, Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me life is Christ and death is gain.